Good, 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 good. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Again, my name's Zach. I'm pastor here. We've been going through James for um, the last few weeks, and we've made it all the way to James chapter 2, um, and so we're really moving along. And uh, for those of you who were here last week, um, last week's sermon was kind of heavy, right? So um, if you weren't here, it's totally fine. Today's sermon's going to be just as heavy, so don't worry. You didn't miss anything. Um, and so, and this is really the, the, a theme here for James, is James is going to say something, um, and he's going to repeat it and say it and, and kind of nuance it a bit, um, and, and he really wants us to understand this. And so, uh, last week, we realized and found that James has written this letter. James is a leader of the church. He's Jesus' younger half-brother, and he's a leader of this church, and he's writing to his people because he's afraid. He is fearful that they are deceiving themselves and that, that there's many people in his church that think they are a Christian and they're not a Christian. They think they have received grace and faith from Jesus Christ, but because their life has not changed, James is fearful they're deceiving themselves. So last week we talked about how if we come in contact with a God who, a God of grace and love and mercy and power then we will be changed by that. And so really we kind of ended like, hey, there's people in here who, who have, are, are kind of young, new Christians, new believers who uh, may have some progress, but maybe not as much as they want. And, and so uh, what I don't want is this kind of sermon to crush a believer who may be new to their faith. But at the same time, as heavy as last week was and as heavy as this week may be, um, I think the most loving thing I can do for someone who thinks they're saved, thinks they're a Christian, but has not been transformed by the gospel, uh, is, is warn you, you might not be saved. You might not be a Christian. I think it's a loving thing to do. And so James is going to, to, to kind of bring that again today, that we are, we, some of us, some of you could be deceiving yourself in doing so. And so he's going to do it in a new way, and he's going to do it by kind of talking about uh, partiality. Um, and, and I got to experience some of that yesterday. Yesterday, um, I went to uh, this place called Fun Depot. It's in Asheville. It's just as fun as it sounds. Um, it's like a depot full of fun. And so they've got arcade games. They've got uh, miniature golf. They have laser tag. They have go-karts. They have the whole thing. There's this one game called Aeroball. It's called Gordon's Aeroball. Uh, I really want to buy one, so I emailed Gordon. Um, and it's like there's, there's an address on it. So I emailed him, I was like, hey, how much does this cost? He's getting back to me. Uh, but it's like these two tr trampolines, and they're connected by a net, and there's hoops on both sides, and you're jumping up with a ball trying to score, and you're trying to block the other guy from scoring, and uh, five minutes in this thing, and I was just like laying down in a puddle of my own sweat, which is gross because I'm like an hour from home. I don't, you know, like luckily I brought a change of clothes. Um, but it was, just, it was just awesome. It was a fun time. Go-karts. What, what, happened, what was cool about this is when we got to Fun Depot, we get to the front and we're like, hey, we want to have fun. And they're like, hey, here's some um, options for you. And we went with this unlimited pass, um, not the most expensive and not, definitely not the cheapest, but what it got us was uh, free, not free, we paid for it, um, but unlimited access to all the video games that didn't produce tickets, right? So they, they weren't going to let you like, get all the tickets you want and go buy like a million ring pops. Um, so what, but like the ones that don't have tickets, like Star Wars and Jurassic Park and that pirate game that no one ever wins, uh, we got to play that uh, as much as we wanted. We got to do laser tag as much as we wanted, go-kart. So we have like, it was like this bachelor trip. Uh, my brother-in-law is getting married. So you have like seven grown men tr getting kicked off go-karts almost. Like uh, it was just a fun time. 
but we got to do all this stuff because we paid for this pass. And if we, if we, if we would have paid more, we could have done, done more. There was things that we didn't get to do, like the ticketed games. We didn't have a lot of money on those. So, but if we would have paid less, we could have paid less but done less, right? So you can come in and just say, hey, I want $20 on a card to go play video games. But then you, if you want to go, then go uh, do laser tag, it's going to cost you 7 and then, you know, go-karts might cost you 10 and, and uh, the um, whatever, the bowling could cost you $4. Like, there's all these different things, and they co- they could, you could piecemeal it together, or you could pay one price and have unlimited. And no one thinks anything's wrong with that, right? Like, that's a good business model. You've got these, you got the, these different plans. You pay more, you do more, you pay less, and no one's like, this isn't fair. It's totally fine. Now, imagine if church was like that. Like, what if, before you came to the Grove on our website, it was like, hey, plan your visit. Come on, come join us. And it was like, hey, do you want to sit up front? That's 10 bucks. Do you want uh, bread and juice? Like, that's four. Bread and wine, six. Do you want, you know, do you want some good food between the services? Like, what if church was like that? Like, do you want prayer after the service? That's going to be $20. Would anyone, is that okay with anyone? Or is that kind of weird and maybe even disgusting, right? Why? Like, why is that not okay? We, we feel like that's not okay. And here's the thing that I think is interesting. This idea that that's just not fair, that's not how things should work, that's not how this should work. We shouldn't show favoritism to people who have more money. Uh, we shouldn't show partiality, as James would say, to people who have more money. We get that in church that's not okay. But why? Why is that not okay? Um, and I think we as Christians actually have a really good case on a why showing favoritism, why showing partiality is not okay. Uh, Non-Christians, those who may be irreligious or, or a-religious, I don't know if they have a good case. Like I'm always astonished by those who don't believe in a, in a, in a God who has, has a law and has morals and, and, is, and is loving, but also has a law in which he'll judge people against. I don't get people who don't believe those things who then want to like um, fight injustice. Because, like, fighting injustice makes it seem like we're anti-natural selection, right? Like, because a lot of times injustice is just nature playing itself out. Like, you know, if the lion eats the antelope, well, who cares? That's just the way nature is. If this person has more money and oppresses the poor, that's just the way nature works and the survival of the fittest. But no, like, we know in our heart, in our conscience, that's not okay. It may be okay for the lion and the antelope, but it's not okay for the rich man to treat the poor man like that. And so why? Why is that? And so we see here in James, James is going to give us a command to, to, to not do something. He's going to tell us why. He's going to invite us into a better way, um, and then he's going to close it with some, some good news, bad news. And so we'll, we'll go through and read it again, uh, verses 1 through 4, um, and then we'll stop and chat, and then we'll read verses 5, and we'll keep going from there. But he says, my brothers, so brothers, sisters, this is his church, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. So James is making this command. Show no partiality. Partiality is not really a word we use very often. I mean, I never used it except preaching through James. Um, But we can think of it like as favoritism. 
Like you're showing favoritism towards the person who has more money. You're showing favoritism towards the person who's dressed nicer. Uh, we can think about it because it's not just about what the person has at home. It's also about the way they look, right? The person wearing fine clothing and jewelry. So we can think about discrimination. You're discriminating against someone by the way they look. Christians don't do that. We don't look on the outside or what someone has and make distinctions among ourselves. We, Christians do not withhold or give glory, love, patience, grace, mercy based on the way someone looks, based on what they have to give us. We don't do that. We don't serve people based on their external appearance. But as Christians, we, tr- we should and should try to love like God and to love all people. And we'll talk about how that looks here in a second. But we do not show partiality. It doesn't matter about their economic class, their age, their clothing, their weight, their gender, their skin color, or even their attractiveness. He's saying, don't show partiality, don't do it. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's telling us to do. He doesn't say, brothers, you shouldn't. He says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, or Lord Jesus Christ. So don't do it. There's no place in the Christian church for discrimination. There's no place for racism, sexism. There's no place for that in the church. Don't do it, he says. Continues on in verse 5. He's going to start to tell us the why. In verse 5, he says, listen, my beloved brothers. It's almost like this plea, like just listen. You need to hear this. You're my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? The reason why we should not show partiality, the reason why we should not show favoritism, the reason why we should not show discrimination is because it dishonors God. It's not the way God works. And we are to be representatives of God to this world. The church is an embassy of the kingdom of God to this world. And we need to represent God. And so we dishonor God when we show favoritism. We dishonor God when we show partiality, when we show discrimination. You guys remember, like, elementary school? You guys, anyone went to elementary school? Do they have that here? I feel like they do. Uh, I went to elementary school, and we played sports. A lot different than they do now. Like, now, Elian just gets, like, like a stack of sign-up sheets for all 500 different sports that they have in Mitchell County. Um, and so he's doing flag football uh, this year. He did soccer last year, and that was fun. He wants to try flag football, so he's practicing for that. He's doing that. When I was growing up, you just went to, like, the court, and, and then they just picked teams. But how do they pick teams? Like, the two most athletic people became the captains, right? So you got, you got captain and captain. Everyone else lines up. They start choosing people. And what basis do they choose people? By how They want to build a winning team. So they're going to surround themselves by people who are good at whatever sport we're playing. Now, um, I know I'm tall, but I wasn't really athletic, coordinated, um, or strong, or even just aggressive. Uh, I learned at a very young age, if I want to do anything in this life, I'm going to have to learn how to read and read well, and so that was kind of my niche, but I still wanted to play sports because I enjoyed it, so I would stand there, and it'd get down, it would literally just get down to like me and the 55-gallon trash <laughs> can, and they'd be like, well, you know, Zach's tall, but the trash can's not going to tip over every time someone bumps it, so maybe we should go with the trash can. Like, that was my life growing up, and this is the way people choose teams. This is not the way our God operates. Our God does not choose a team, make selections based on your skill, what you can bring to him. He makes 
I'll tell you how he makes the selection. Honestly, he'll, he'll chooses those who can bring the least to the table so that it magnifies his glory more. Like, he wants to be the star of this thing. Like, he tells Abraham, or he tells the people of Israel, the reason why you're chosen is because you were the smallest, wimpiest tribe ever. So he chose you to bring my glory to this world. That's what God says. So the reason why, the way God builds his team is to surround himself with the pe- people who have weaknesses so that he might show his strength and his glory through his people. This is how God, so when we show favoritism, when we show partiality, when we show discrimination to try and lift up the, the, the wealthy, lift up those who are like us, like this is us dishonoring God because we are showing people that this is how the gospel works. Is that God chooses those who are wealthy. God chooses those who are good. God chooses those who have skills. That's not how our God works. So me and you will have to fight against our pull to be around people who are like us. Like we love surrounding ourselves with people who are like us. And, and that includes gender, skin color, age, everything. Like we just, like, you know, socioeconomic class, similar jobs, sim- similar interests. We want to surround ourselves with people who are like us. And we need to fight against that pull because we will begin to show favoritism to those who are like us. We will begin to show partiality and discrimination to those like that. And so um, one of the th- things you'll see is we do home groups at the Grove. And we don't do, there, there's a way to do home groups that some churches do. I'm not knocking it, but we want to be intentional. And uh, they do uh, affinity groups, people who have similar affinities, right? So and what that means, if you don't know the word affinity, I didn't, but we had to Google it, um, is like people who share things in common. So like, you know, you might have the 50-plus uh, home group, people who are 50 years and older. Uh, you might have the young adults home group or the I like to play, you know, board games home group. That would be a fun home group. But they have like, um, you know, uh, married with kids home group, you know, college age home group. Uh, all these different groups that are, are, are designed and segregated by their affinities. We're, we're not going to do that here. Like we want to surround people with people who aren't like them. Uh, selfishly, man, I can earn, learn some things by some people who are 50 plus, and I don't want them in their own home group ho- hogging all their wisdom and knowledge. Like, that's so selfish of them. Like, come down to our home group, help me out, like, help me how to learn how to be married well. And, and in, the same, in the same token, like, the life and vitality younger people might be able to bring to a discussion and passion, um, and, and oftentimes misguided passion can bring. Like, you can, we can kind of meet in this middle with wisdom and passion. We could do some really cool things because we have Christ in common. Not our wealth, not our status, not our skin color, not anything else but Christ. And that's the kind of church that God builds, the kind of groups of people, or the kind of group of people God is building. So when we discriminate, when we show partiality, when we show favoritism, we dishonor God and reveal we don't understand the gospel. God has worked to bring a group of people that would bring him glory. He's, he's chose his team in a way that makes sure we'd only talk about him. There's no, wow, look at his team. Look at this all-star team. It's no, look at Jesus. Like, literally, like, look around the room. Like, is this the team, like, we would choose? It's just not. But God's chosen this team to do amazing things, not just in Spruce Pine, this area, but, like, in churches all over this nation and globe. This is the kind of thing God's doing. And so we showed no partiality. But we need to fight against that because we are going to uh, be inclined to be around people who are like us. We're going to be inclined to think that we're awesome. 
and that other people should be awesome to be around us, to be part of what we're doing. And that's just further from the truth. For one, you're not as awesome as you think you are. And, and I say that in the most loving way, but you're not. And here's why that's really good news. Because you can stop looking down and being all depressed about how you fail. You can lift your eyes upon the cross and upon Christ and stop worrying that you're failing so much because you're not as awesome as you think you are and you're not meant to be right now. We're not, as, we're not saved because we're awesome. You're not saved because you're awesome. So the demand that someone meets your criteria of awesomeness is anti-gospel. It's outside of the way God saves. It's outside of the way he shows mercy. And it's not okay. So our hearts need to be changed. Uh, there's this quote by Tim Keller in his book called Gospel and Life. I want to read it and then we'll explain it because it's a little wordy. Tim Keller tends to be that way. Um, but it's really good. So I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it. But this is the difference that we're talking about of showing partiality, favoritism, or discrimination in, in the heart of, of a Christian. Here's what he says. A merely religious person who believes God will favor him because of his morality and respectability will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. He says, I worked hard to get where I am, and so can anyone else. That is the language of the moralist heart. But to say, I am only where I am by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God. I am completely equal with all other people. That is the language of the Christian's heart. A sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the needy is the in inevitable sign of a person who has grasped the doctrine of God's grace. So this idea, and we have this idea, there's people I know, people I love, who would, who would even almost sometimes vocalize this idea of like, I know this people group feels oppressed, but if they would just, I worked hard, and I'm successful, if they would just do what I did, they'd be fine. No one's oppressing them, no one's doing anything to them. If they would just work hard, if they would do the right things and make the right decisions, they'd get where I am, they'd be fine. They wouldn't have anything to complain about anymore. That is not the heart of a Christian. Like the reason why you are where you are, James would say every good gift comes from God the Father. The reason you are where you are, if you have any measure of success, is because God has lavished that upon you, regardless of who you are and what you've done. And so the heart of the Christian is, man, I've been shown mercy. So I'm going to pour my life out to be merciful to others, to serve others, to serve the outcast, to serve people. That's an, an inevitable sign, Tim Keller would say, of a person who has grasped the doctrine of God's grace. This is what James is asking of us, so that we can honor God and be a good image of who he is. But there's another reason why he, he says to do this. Verses 6 and 7, he says this. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So, so James is, is saying here, like, there's people in this church, rich people who are oppressing the church. They're, they're um, dragging them into courts, and they're being oppressive. And James is like, why are you, like, sucking up to these people and trying to cuddle with these people who hate you and try to oppress you, and you're dishonoring your poor brother who's next to you because you'd rather have this person? Like, why are you doing that? And I think the church today still struggles with that, where we, 
we would rather have a certain type of person sitting in these seats than, than maybe this person. This person might make us look weird or make us feel weird or feel uncomfortable. So we want this kind of person in the church. We want this kind of person. We're going after this kind of person. Why do you do that? And especially when it comes to the church in the world. Like, I am so amazed and, and just baffled, if I can be honest, of why the church wants to be so cool in the world. And why they're so surprised when they're not like, we just, we like, want to be like, like, you know, we want the news to speak well of us. We want the world to speak well of us. We want, we want Christian presidents and leaders and stuff. Those are great things to want, but like, we think we should get them and, and that they should be happening. And so we fight for them. And, and, then, and then there's this idea of like, we want, like, the craziest one, I've used this example before, but the craziest one to me is like, we're so surprised and disgusted almost that Starbucks doesn't have Christmas coffee cups anymore. Like, why did they have Christmas coffee cups? Like, they're not a Christian organization, like, or company at all. Like, why are we surprised that they wouldn't put Merry Christmas at Target? Like, why does that bother us so much? Why do we want to be cool? Like, we've got to stop being, trying to be so cool. In fact, the moment we make Jesus cool enough to be accepted by the world, we've lost Christ. He's no longer the Jesus who saved us. He's no longer the king who's coming for us. We've lost him as soon as, we, as soon as he's cool enough to be accepted everywhere. Like, we're talking about the guy who was born and there was no room for him. His hometown wouldn't take him. And the world crucified him. And we want to go around and be accepted everywhere. Like, that just doesn't make sense. So we shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. In fact, Christianity at its core should be countercultural. We should be counter to the world's culture and building a new culture as this kingdom of God expands. We're not going to be cool. We're not. In fact, the marginalization that occurs for Christians, like when, when society tries to throw us in the outcast and marginalize us from society, we shouldn't try and run from that, but lean into it. Like, this is who we are. We're rebels. We're outcasts. This is Christianity. Like, they turned the world upside down. Not tried to be accepted by it, but changed it. And we cannot, for the life of me, seem to figure that out sometimes. Like we care so much about the world. And then, and then, and then we, we show partiality to people because of their status in the world. Um, about every Sunday, there's like a moment where like, I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble if I say this. Um, this is that moment, so get ready. Um, I don't know, months ago, uh, there was a hurricane that went through uh, the southern United States. And uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, our president, went down to Alabama to, to look over the relief. I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's in Alabama. And uh, he went to this church where people were, and people started bringing him their Bibles to sign. And I just don't know why. Like, and I'm, look, I am not making a judgment call on his character, person, salvation, or anything. We can talk about that later. But I'm just saying today, because he's president, you want his signature in your Bible? Like, I just don't get it. Like, because of his, his, his worldly status, man, this guy must, like, he's, I'm going to have a sign my Bible. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just weird. And if, you've, if, you're, if you were in Alabama when that happened, I'm sorry. Uh, we could talk later. I still believe what I said. I just, sorry, I was maybe harsher than I should have been. But this idea that we do that, it's just, it just baffles me. And, and the other one that um, also has to do with, and I'm not, look, I'm not knocking the president's, presidency, um, but the other one has to do with the vice president. Um, a, a denomination that I actually love dearly uh, had this convention, and they uh, invited Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, to come and speak at the convention. And I just couldn't figure out why. 
like every other name were pastors who were pastoring this congregation, pastoring this convention, and then let's bring up the vice president for some reason. Well, if we're opening up to anyone, why not Joe the plumber who served faithfully Christ the last 20 years? Why doesn't he get to speak? Like I just don't, I don't get why we show honor to people based on their worldly status. But we do that, and, the, and, and, and here's the good news for you. It's not new, right? This isn't like a Western church American issue. This is from the beginning. Like, James dealt with this. So we're not like new Christians. Like, we're not like, you know, um, just blazing a new path of weirdness and, and, and sin. This is something the church has always struggled with, and we'll need to constantly reform, make sure we're not showing partiality to people based on their status, their wealth, or anything else. Now, here's the caveat we have to say, right? It's because he, here is what James is not saying. Take your favoritism off of the rich and put it on the poor. He's not saying that. He's saying show no partiality. Show no favoritism. No discrimination. Not take it from one group and give it to the other. Uh, it's the opposite of what, of what Jesus would teach in Matthew 7. When he says love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. So we are to love all people. We are to love like God loves which isn't always easy. But that's what James is calling us to. And as we move into this next part, um, I heard a pastor say this, and I loved it, so I'm just going to steal it. But there's this idea that um, whenever God gives a warning, it's not just a warning, it's also an invitation. And I get this because I do it with my kids. Like, any time I tell Elium, like, hey, E, like you can't, buddy, you can't do that. Like, you can't play with knives, right? But here's like a fake uh, ninja sword. You can play with that. Like, there's, there's always a warning, a command, hey, don't do this, but there's also an invitation to something better, right? It's, it's, don't do this, that it's dangerous and wrong. This is better. And so God does the same thing. When he gives warnings, like, don't show partiality, he gives us an invitation in verse 8. This is what he says. This is what James says. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So it's not, it's not just, hey, don't show partiality. It's, it's love your neighbor as yourself. Like there's this invitation to something better. Invitation to something bigger than us. We get to love our neighbor as ourself. We get to do to them what we want them to do to us. We get to love them well. And neighbors, just anyone around you in your, where you work, where you play, where you sleep, anywhere. Those are your neighbors. Love them as you love yourself. This is an invitation. This is what the kingdom of God is to look like. The kingdom of God is not to have partiality, no favoritism or discrimination. It's to have love. And the, the royal law is that, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now James is going is to switch here. It's going to get heavy again. Um, and um, it's going to be good. He's going to just kind of cut through the heart here because here's what happens when we preach warnings like this is there's some people in here, you're sitting here today, and you're like, yeah, show no partiality. Uh, I don't do that. I, sometimes I do show partiality. I do have favoritism, but I've never done anything that bad. Like, I'm not, I've never murdered anyone. I've never, like, I've never said anything racist. I just have thoughts that are racist, right? Like, not that bad. James is going to cut straight to that in verses 9, 10, 11. And this is what he says. I love it because he's just ruthless. It says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become accountable to all of it. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. It doesn't matter if you've broken one little law over here or one, something you'd consider a big law. If you've broken the law, you've broken it all. You're accountable to all of it. So there's no room for anyone to sit and be like, yeah, I do show partiality. Sometimes I show favoritism, but I've never done X. I've never done Z. I haven't done these things, so I'm not that bad. He's saying, no, you are that bad. Even if all you've done is shown partiality, even if all you've done is commit adultery or murder, like you've broken all of it. He's not going to let us off the hook because we haven't done that much. And, and, and this is something we, you, need to hear, is that it doesn't matter how bad you think you are, how much sin you think you have, if you've sinned at all, and we all have, so you have, you've, you're a transgressor, you've broken the law, you've broken all of it. That's heavy. He's cutting right to us. So he says in verse 12, to be doers again, he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So he's telling us to speak, to do, to act, to do. Don't just be hearers of the word like last week, right? Don't just hear the word and go out here and forget it. But speak, act in such a way that you're going, like you're going to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment, verse 13, is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Man. So he's saying, so the person who shows no mercy will not have mercy. So if we don't show mercy to others, we will not receive mercy. That's heavy, right? Because there's times where we haven't shown mercy to others. You, you guys know what mercy is? So mercy is this idea of not giving someone what they deserve. So like maybe someone has messed up. Maybe someone has wronged you. Maybe someone um, has... Uh, you know, been a jerk to you, I don't know, whatever, whatever you think they've wronged you in some way, and you, like, retaliate. And maybe you just retaliate with, like, a cold shoulder. Maybe you just retaliate with, like, not talking to them anymore, or being cold around them, or, or not reaching out to them as much. Like, we retaliate in a million different ways. But the idea of mercy is to not do that. To give them mercy. To love them anyway. And those whom have received mercy will give mercy. So no matter what this group of people have done to be in this mess, to be poor or whatever, whatever they've done or haven't even done, mercy is to overlook those things, to pour out our lives for those people. Because, very end of verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's good news. Because we all, and, and, and James won't, this won't be the last time James talks about us being judged by the law of liberty. But he gives us some hope here. That mercy triumphs over judgment. So we need to remember how merciful God has been to us, and then in turn, we'll be merciful to others. That song we sing, that Jude doxology, right? The remember, he has brought you out of Egypt. Like we, we, we need to be better at remembering. We talk about this all the time in the group. We need to be better at remembering. We need to remember what God has done for us, and that will change us and change how we treat others. Because if you realize how much mercy God has shown you, oh, it would be so much easier to be merciful to someone else. Because you know everything you have you don't deserve. 
and everything that, you, that should have happened to you didn't happen. That God withheld those things from you, withheld punishment and wrath because he poured those things out on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross instead of pouring those things out on you. Those whom have seen mercy will show mercy, and those who don't show mercy won't see mercy. So again, some of you guys are in here, and you're just like young in your faith. You're infant, you're in the infancy phase, phase of Christianity, and I don't want sermons like to this to feel like this heavy burden tied around your neck just dragging you down. But then there's some of you here today who have no intention of ever living this out. And you're here because it feels good to be in church, because you feel like it's the right thing to do, but you have no intention of your life ever changing. And it's those people that James is writing to. And it's those people to whom I'm now talking. Like, if you're here today and you think you're a Christian, but you're just like, I'm never gonna do this. Like, like I don't, like this isn't for me. Like, you're not a Christian. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but like, I'm just like, let's just, let's just be real. Like, just stop calling yourself that. Like, call yourself what you are, an unbeliever, and then we can talk. Then it's easier for us to talk because we're, we're, we're sharing common terms, right? So like, we just have to be honest. We have to be honest. Here's the thing that I struggle with, is there's people sitting here um, and in the first service, sitting churches all over, who, who pretend like they're godly and that they're living this Christian life, and that they're good, and that they love God, and they know they don't. And it's almost like some of them want to just like be honest, but they're afraid of what will happen if they do. And so they trade this veneer fake godliness, this veneer fake righteousness, for the real thing. Like they'll keep this veneer, this fake, when Jesus is like, I'll give you the real righteousness. Like, like that's the exchange on the cross, is I'll take your sin, and I'll give you my clean robes, I'll give you clean clothes, I'll give you righteousness, and we just pretend like, you know what, no, that's going to be too hard. Like, all these people think I'm godly. What would happen if I said I wasn't? So we keep ourselves from receiving salvation, from receiving God's righteousness, because we're afraid of what will happen if we're honest with those around us. That, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm not a Christian like I said I was all, the, all these years. Maybe I just, maybe my parents just accidentally talked me into praying some prayer because they wanted me to go to heaven with them, and I've never responded to the gospel. I've never actually wanted to follow Jesus. I just didn't want to go to hell because that sounds really scary. I don't actually want Jesus. Like, it's okay to be honest like that because then we can talk and we can wrestle with things because what this needs to be, this needs to be like a light going off like in a car. Like my car, um, I, got, I was given a truck by someone, and it was awesome, and I've had not, uh, like tons of brake issues with this car, um, and so like, I don't know, six months ago, the, bl- the brake light came on. You know, like the one that says like, hey, your, your e-brake is on? Apparently that has multiple meanings, okay? If, you're, if your e-brake is not on the brake light on, go to a mechanic immediately. Like don't drive your car. Um, it, as long as, if it's a Nissan little truck, that definitely. Because what happens is, is if you see that brake light on and your e-brake's like where it's supposed to be, and you try and back up at the gym and you apply the brake to like stop backing up, you'll keep backing up and there's a mailbox behind you, and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to hit that mailbox. And then, but luckily, your e-brake actually still does work, so you use that. But then you got to figure out how to make it home, which is mostly downhill, and, um, but it's close, but it's still mostly downhill. Like, it's a mess. But the, if that light came on, and I would have seen that and got help, I could have avoided a lot of messy situations. 
And sermons like this have to be that light that comes on for us. Like, like, like if, we're, if you're sitting here and you're like, you know what, like this isn't for me, like I'm not going to do this, and you hear sermon after sermon after sermon, and you just come here because it feels good and you're doing the right thing, but I'm not going to change my life. My life is not going to change. I have no desire for obedience. I have no desire to submit myself to the lordship of Jesus. Like that's not a desire in you. That, that should be a light just coming on and being like, uh-oh, maybe, maybe I'm not where I think I am. Maybe I'm not right before the Lord like I think I am. And then for those who are like in your infancy stage of Christianity, like don't let this be a burden. Like, like if you're sitting here, you're like, you know what? I do have a desire for that. Like, like I, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not perfect, but I've, I've made some progress. I'm not where I once was. Like your light's not on. You can rejoice. You can drive your truck wherever you want to go. Like this, like, like let this sermon, let these passages, because it's not going to end here. Let these things be an indicator of where you are, and you can either rejoice or be honest, but you've got to do something with it. You can praise his name that you're making progress. You can praise his name that you're his. You're not who you once were, or you can be honest and stop pretending about who you are and maybe get some help. Let the gospel come. Let Jesus change you. So as we close um, this morning, and we'll sing again, and we'll celebrate. Like, like there's two, there's really just two people when it comes to this sermon in this room. Those who have no indicator light, and they're like, I am following Jesus. I am sinning all the time. And maybe I'm showing partiality. But like, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. We can rejoice in the Lord that we're following him. We can repent of the partiality we've shown. We can repent of the favoritism, the discrimination we've shown. But we can rejoice that he's covered that that the blood has covered that, and that we're saved, not by our works, but by his grace on the cross. We can rejoice in that. And then there's others who, who maybe as we sing just need to pray, need to do some business with the Lord, maybe even confess to someone um, that, hey, I might not be where I, I think I am. So we're going to sing. We'll also, we're going to sing and worship, and we'll celebrate the gospel that, that God has saved us, and that he's saving us and making us more like him. Um, we'll also have communion. So there's bread, water, uh, not water, bread, uh, juice, and wine. Um, and you can come up and celebrate the gospel that way. Uh, for our members and those committed people here at the Grove, uh, you can also celebrate the gospel by giving. Jesus gave us his life, and we give back to him both our time, talents, and treasures. And so uh, there's a box up here you can give that way. If you're a guest or a visitor, please don't, don't feel like you have to give. Um, this, this is our gift to you, just um, this time and the food and the, and the fellowship and the, and the music and the, um, the sermon, hopefully the sermon. Um, and so that's our gift to you. But if you're a member here, that, like worship through song, worship through communion and giving. Um, this is our time to respond to God's word and celebrate the gospel we found in it. Uh, so I'll pray for us and then um, Sawyer will come back up and lead us in, in a few songs. Oh, the last thing I want to say is just so you guys know, we are um, going to be singing more songs at the end of the service. Not a ton more, one more. Um, and so, like, we're going to be more songs. So there's just, I just, I've always wanted to. And so we're, final, we're at a point where, where um, Sawyer and both bands, both bands can, can, can play more songs. And so we're going to uh, elongate the second half of our music, through our worship through music, with an extra song to give us more time to respond, to sing, and celebrate. It's not going to make our service longer at all, I promise. Um, it'll still be a weird Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short kind of thing. Um, but we are going to do that. And so we'll, I'll pray for us and then we'll sing. Father God, I, uh, 
I'm so thankful for all that you have done for us. Uh, I'm thankful for your word, um, that it can challenge us and encourage us. I want to pray for the people here this morning, Lord, that if there's uh, Christians, that all the Christians here this morning would just be encouraged by this word, knowing that they're healthy, that they love you, um, even if they're showing partiality, even if they're showing favoritism, that they would just repent and rejoice in the blood of Christ that's been spilt for them. And God, I pray that as we uh, worship, Lord, if there's people here who may not be where they think they are, they have this fake godliness, or they're pretending, or maybe they're not pretending, maybe they just, I'm not religious at all, and that you would work in their hearts, God, that you would call them to yourself um, through the gospel. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing. I pray that you continue to work in us, and as we sing to you, and as we uh, commune with your son Jesus at the table, God, that uh, that would be a, a blessing to you. And we would honor you in that. And God, in turn, you'd bless us with your presence, Father. God, I love you. I'm thankful for you. I pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.